And we're live. We got a new show. A Palestinian and Israeli react. That's exciting. Um, yeah, I don't know what else to say. Today we're going to do Fauda. And uh, let us know what you want to see next. I, I actually think someone brought up we might do Janine Janine next. And what makes this show special is this. I did not think of this show. It actually has nothing to do with me. It's a community project. And that's really what we're all about. The Great Debate is a community project where people come together and all contribute content. So those who came up with this are the ones starring in it, and they've already become pretty well-known. They're starting to become a fan favorites. Without further ado, let's bring them on. Dan Iftach and Zahir. I'm going to leave you two. I'm going to leave you both. Um, but if anybody's new to this channel, subscribe, like. Tell your friends about it and support us on Patreon if you really like what we do. Um, oh, yeah, we do have some visionary members who need a shout out. We have Trivium Energy PTYLTD, that's a green energy company in Australia. We have SOB Cannabis, that's a cannabis company in California. And Max Marine are three Patreon visionary members. And a big shout out to all our other patrons who help us make this content. If you do want to support us, you can see a link in the description. And that's it. Um, I'm gonna, Danny is here. I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna leave you to it. Enjoy. Thanks. Hello, everyone. Uh, for those who haven't um, seen any of our videos before, I'm a uh, Palestinian from the West Bank. Uh, I grew up there, um, and uh, we will be talking about Foda today. Uh, Danny, if you want to introduce yourself. I'm Danny. I'm Israeli. And uh, what we are trying to do here is just, you, you know, kind of react to uh, pop culture. So like we said, this week is Fauda. Hopefully uh, next video might be Janine Janine. And really just see it through the lens of each of their respective nationalities. So Zahir through Palestinian lens and me through Israeli lens, and I really hope you guys enjoy. Mm. Um, the, the, there's sort of a lot of things about the show that we can comment on that are sort of tangential to at least what I noticed watching it. Um, it was a very, very difficult watch uh, for me. It took me like... It. Uh, <laughs> I love the show. <laughs> I like based my life out. I I could barely get through. Yeah, I could kind of get through like an episode a day. Um, <laughs> yeah, 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 it it really got to me. But um, uh, yeah, there's all sorts of like funny stuff in the show. Um, and inaccuracies that that are sort of there in like every television show. So uh, I don't want to fixate on that sort of stuff too much. Although we might mention along the way, just because some of it's quite funny. You know, things like the accents in different places. And, uh, you know, the, the Hebronite boxer who doesn't have, a, you know, <laughs> the most distinct Palestinian accent, like the, the Hebronite accent, or uh, the undercover agents claiming to be from particular places uh, and then speaking completely differently, or uh, um, <laughs> like funny things like, uh, you know, every character having Abu, or like having it on their ID and stuff, which, which I thought was hilarious. Um, but that's sort of there in every TV show. Um, and ultimately, like, we understand that it's a thriller, that it's meant to be entertaining. Um, you know, it's designed to get views and 
uh, keep an audience engaged and stuff. So it's not so much about that. Like I understand the monetary and the like, you know, dramatic incentives for the filmmakers to uh, make sure the show it, the way it is, or even sort of not care about stuff that's not really going to matter to the, to the audience. Um, bigger picture and, and more along the lines of you know the different things that I'd like to talk about is what it says about the narrative um, mm-hmm. and how I mean watching folder I felt like do you want to I'm so sorry yeah. to interrupt you but do you want to give a synopsis to our viewers just what it's about in a nutshell yeah so so folder sort of depicts these undercover operatives and different seasons scenes in the um each of the seasons and uh it was sort of widely portrayed as being you know like an authentic portrayal of uh, uh the palestinian side or at least uh an attempt to humanize you know palestinians and sort of a gritty like israeli version of homeland um so you know you have these uh this crack this like a team uh these undercover operatives like doron who's sort of like retired to life in a vineyard uh and then is basically brought back to help capture um abu ahmed or the, the panther who is meant to be uh you know the the like uh the bond villain i guess of the show um he's a hamas operative in the west bank um which in and of itself is funny um <laughs> but uh and then the show kind of moves to different locations in each of the seasons um uh yeah i mean um uh, i don't so- know if you want to answer that danny so you think that uh, basically Fauda is completely an inaccurate portrayal of the Palestinian narrative of the conflict, right? Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I I, I hated it as far as the uh, narrative portrayal goes, and we'll kind of get into why. But it's it's not for any of the surface level reasons. Like I I kind of expect a TV show to be inaccurate. I expect a TV show to focus on the thrilling, exciting stuff rather than like the mundane day to day lives of people. Even though in a yeah. lot of ways, yeah. But then when it claims that it's trying to humanize the Palestinians and then you feel the narrative is portrayed in an incorrect manner, so you feel it basically uh, didn't do its job or what it stated it was supposed to do. Uh, well, I, I kind of, it's like you, you really can't humanize a person without understanding their like most basic motivations or their, the most basic aspects of their worldview. Um, and we'll kind of get into that along the way, but it's it's really these high level narrative stuff. And I feel like the show, in a lot of ways, um, and I, you know, I was shocked when you explained that you know it was your reaction to it, because to yeah. me, it to me it reinforces what I think Israelis think the conflict is about, or like the narrative I think Israelis have of, uh, or the way they see Palestinians. Uh, and certainly, like the security narrative and like uh, their understanding of what motivates Palestinian resistance. Um, I'll, so, uh, well, well, yeah, Israeli viewers seem shocked. Is is interesting. Well, yeah, because uh, well, my view on the show is that it was groundbreaking. First of all, it's just a really good show, right? Just as an action show, like f- forget the conflict, all the drama and the suspense. You're just like, oh my god! Every episode leaves you hanging, like, what's gonna happen? And um, you know, uh, I went through like an emotional roller coaster seeing it the first time. The second time I saw it, you know, I was trying to be really critical because you know, you and I are doing this show. And I really wanted to see the small nuances and kind of like motifs that are repeated. And I agree with you that um, 
largely they didn't portray the conflict um, as it is, but what it did do was humanize the other side for me. Uh, it, you know, I didn't feel like the Palestinians in the show were vilified at all. I felt that they were literally just this different side of the same coin. And basically both sides were the outcome of the circumstances um, that they've been in. Um, and we can get more into that later. Uh, but I just felt like it was brown, groundbreaking for an Israeli show one to show things and 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 raise you know topics that I, I've never seen in an Israeli show. So whether it was even just seeing checkpoints or even if it was inaccurately portrayed, but just the fact that you see you know the difference in how soldiers their attitude towards a Palestinian crossing by a checkpoint, and then if an Israeli or a Jew you know passes. Uh, by a checkpoint. And the fact that on the first episode, in the beginning, you know, they call, um, they talk about occupation, which is just like, you know, you talk to a lot of Israelis. And of course, there are Israelis who will agree and say, of course, there's an occupation, then there will be others who's like, what occupation, like, you can't occupy a land that's yours. Um, they, they're free to leave or whatever. Uh, the fact that, you know, um, none of the Palestinians were born to hate. Um, that is something that you see in the show, um, mothers loving their children more than they hate the Zionists. So debunking that. So for me, it was just kind of like, wow. And I was so shocked that Israelis responded so well to the show. And I just wondered if they realized all the subtle critique and nuances that the show was trying to portray, or they just saw it like I did the first time around, just like a really good action show. Um, so that's my take on a nutshell. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I'm almost not surprised that it was so well received, like, um, uh, based on all the conversations and all the sort of debates and stuff that I've had, uh, I think it's exactly, I think the show is exactly what Israelis think the conflict is. Um, and so even when it's like being, uh, brave um for an israeli tv show um in that it's like uh you know depicting the 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 operative as the operatives as flawed or uh you know behaving immorally in like certain scenes uh, as sort of like a function of necessity i think that is exactly what uh israelis who are remotely aware of you know the conflict kind of think about it big picture um so uh yeah i i i think there's this insidious thing where because you feel it's being authentic um you feel like okay now now i understand it um and there's a lot more to humanizing someone than just showing them you know like eating and drinking and talking to their family I mean, it never actually explains the palestinian narrative even briefly um or even through their lens and all that and just from like a pure you know uh, literary or uh, film critique and the characters are all to me extremely shallow um, it's interesting that I, I could barely empathize with them. Um, like the Palestinian characters on the show, they, they, they weren't us. Um, they really weren't us, like what they were motivated by, uh, and, um, what drove them to do what they did. Um, but, uh, I think, um, maybe, uh, let's start by making it more tangible. Adar, if you want to bring up that, that first scene, um, Adele? 
That's yeah, is this yeah. it? No. Uh, no, the wedding. The yeah. wedding story. Okay, hold on. We'll figure this out. <laughs> shway, shway. We got this. By the way, the show, I wrote down so many words here in Arabic. I'm just like. Wait, Danny, you told me that was the first scene. No, that was my first scene. He sent you. Oh, the one, oh, the one you sent yeah. me. Okay, yeah, sure. Of course, no problem. No. So the audio is missing from the clip, but... Yeah. Um, the show starts as sort of the first episode, uh, where basically you have the operatives come in that they're there to uh, try to capture, uh, or they have intel that Abu Ahmed's, you know, uh, going to be at the wedding of his brother, um, and uh, basically, uh, you know, the the brother gets caught in the crossfire, so to speak, and he goes to defend his wife, and then he gets shot by the operatives, um, and I think that scene kind of recurs at least in his themes over and over again uh throughout the video um, throughout the uh, tv show so the vast majority of the characters on the show are driven by a sort of vendetta so a desire for revenge um and there's this like montagues and capulets thing whether it's amal or abu ahmad or uh, um you know all of the characters throughout the show the motivation for palestinian resistance in folder is usually a vendetta. Um, it's very personal, um, and you'll see this sort of throughout different scenes. Um, but there is no depiction of uh, what I think the primary, you know, cause or motivation for uh, Palestinian resistance or the violence is. Um, so the show is sort of trying to depict, uh, you know, the actions of these characters as being um, driven by like the loss of a family member or. Uh, a desire to, to to avenge attacks. And I think, like, while the loss of a family member is tra traumatic in a lot of cases, that can be, like, what pushes someone over the edge. Mm -hmm. um, the show never really depicts the, the, the what I think, uh, you know, the other primary motivations of um, the conflict. Um, the, there is no depiction of, effectively, the, the tyranny of military rules. So... Uh, there, there is very little military presence inside inside the West Bank. Um, part of that is that you, you're sort of seeing these undercover operatives, but you, you know you don't see soldiers imposing curfews on an entire town. Um, there's no raids into people's homes in the middle of the night. Um, you know these they're, they're, you get these undercover agents. There are raids, just raids for a specific there are, uh, there are mission, you, or you because they're looking are. for people. Um, yeah, well, I, I think that's what Israelis think raids you, are. Maybe can you expand? Because I don't. What are raids if not like literally coming in and effing shit up? Like, you know, they're yeah. throwing everything all over. You see the Palestinians in the show just standing still. The, you Palestinians, from my conversations, um, you know, they talk about how important dignity is and how, you know, dignity is probably and pride is one of the only things that they have Um that is theirs, you know, due to the occupation that they hold dearly and, you know, raids and, 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 and in general, the occupation tries to humiliate you and dehumanize you and turn you into this little nothing. And then 
um, you know, I felt that was portrayed. Like, you know, even though it was a terrorist's home when they were doing the raids, I felt I felt along with the character uncomfortable. I felt like someone was, you know, invading my home and, and, and stirring shit up. And it was just like, um, and you know, Israelis don't talk about night raids at all. Like we're, we're completely. The, the raids are so routine. So they're this big dramatic thing in the show where they're there looking for someone, the, the raids are part of like a larger, military apparatus um right. they're, they're so routine that we can almost tell when they're going to happen and they're not mm-hmm. necessarily to get anyone in particular so you know i remember <laughs> staying up so, so if, if, if something happens like you know something happens the previous week or someone is shot um i remember like, people will like stay up in expectation of a raid uh, knowing rather than basically being woken up in the middle of the night uh it's better to stay up waiting for this raid to happen and like often the raids aren't there to get anyone they're either using your property as a place to conduct surveillance or uh you know it's an establishment of presence thing or they'll raid an entire apartment block um you know the raids uh, the raids and the experience of the soldiers is you constantly see a foreign military they're in uniform on mass you, know, you have like 20 trucks into the area um one 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 funny thing to me in the show is like like mm-hmm. Given the guy that they were co- trying to capture, in, in like the real life version of this, is they would have put the entire town on lockdown. Um, you know, I remember but, growing uh, up like curfews. They did, especially in season three. You know, they went and put everything on lockdown. They also talked about it. The Palestinians, like, we're going to be in lockdown. We're not going to be able to move. We're not going to be able to cross anything. Like that was said in the third season for sure. I wrote it down. And regarding the first uh, clip that we saw, I was um, intrigued that, um, you know, right before that scene, um, I think it was Bashir's uncle. I don't know who the guy was, but I quoted what he said. He said it it was at Bashir and Amal's wedding. Uh, So the same scene. When I see you, Bashir, and you, Amal, I say to myself that this is the best revenge. Despite all that the occupation has done to us, we still bear children, we're successful, we raised families, why did I write half children again, and prosper. Basically, he says, existence, our existence is the biggest resistance, and so, to the occupation. And so, even though it was touched on really shallow, just the opening scene, and you don't talk about it much anymore, that was like, for an Israeli, in your face, like, here, this is the first scene that you get when you look into the life of the Palestinians, is that they take pride in their existence, that this is, you know, it is a big part of their resistance, that they talk and they said the word occupation, like... We, I mean, I, I think really that scene is... Talk about it. We don't say kibush, we don't say occupation, just so well, you know. That, that scene is one of the few scenes in the, in the show where I feel like... Uh, the character is at least speaking normally or uh, speaking the way we speak um, mm-hmm. or talking in, in like fairly normal, uh, a fairly normal way for Palestinians to, to speak. Um, although I, I don't know about that happening at a wedding, but um, that aside. Um, and we also the Israelis used Palestinians, they used them all as a human shield, right? And then Bashir wants to come and attack and then they kill Bashir and then, you know, Amar's left widowed, Amal is left widowed on um, 
on the day of her wedding. So these are things also that you see that are kind of like, I don't know if Israelis took notice to it, right? But we always claim Israelis. But, but, but they're sort of in the heat at the moment. Like, like, but but the, still, the, it's a human shield. And it's something we say we don't do at all. And then yet sure, you see sure. it. But, but, but it's sort of in the heat of the moment. And like uh, you're seeing these people. It's all very circumstantial. While... Uh, and so I'm watching it. And I'm like, this just isn't reality. Like, this is neither how the soldiers behave. Um, they're kind mm-hmm. of behaving in more dramatized ways than they really do, which is far more professional, but also like methodical. Um, uh, and also mundane. Like, this is mundane life. Uh, and there is no, there's almost no point in depicting the, you know, Palestinian characters like lives. A fair bit of time is spent setting up their backstory and like what motivates them if you're not going to show what they're really upset by and and, and so one of the very first points is uh freedom or, li- or liberty and like, like a natural reaction to oppression so uh there's no depiction of random beatings there's no depiction of you know all the men in the neighborhood being rounded up uh there's no depiction of just mundane humiliation so a normal interaction with a soldier where he's just there bored is. And he's messing with you in um, season one episode eight nisreen which is the wife of uh, Abu, Mah- um, Abu Ahmed, uh, wants to go through a checkpoint to see her daughter and uh, is asked to strip at the checkpoint. And she feels very uncomfortable. And the soldier's like, yalla, yalla, see, see, do it already. Like, see, do all, it already. All, it, these, all these characters are not... Um, so, like, you kind of see all this happen after they've been caught up in the violence. And that, that, I think, is actually part of the narrative. It's like all of this is happening to them after they've been caught up in the violence. And I think uh, it's the exact same way Israelis speak about, like, Hamas and Gaza. Um, there's this sense of, basically, if it wasn't for, uh, you know, Hamas or if it wasn't for these terrorists, then, you know, there wouldn't be any violence. And so all of the characters in the show, whether it's, Nis- you know, Nisreen or uh, uh, the Checkpoint or... Um, the fact that the brother of Abu Ahmad dies um, are in some way uh, like collateral damage of Palestinian violence. So, you know, if Abu Ahmad wasn't a terrorist, then his family wouldn't have been caught up in this conflict. Uh, she's there at the checkpoint, but it's you, you're seeing this happening to her because she's under watch. She's literally being escorted to the, to the hospital to see her daughter. Um, and they're checking her. She's the wife of Abu Ahmad. And so they're taking extra precautions. It all sort of makes sense, uh, you know. You're, you're seeing this happen through the lens of like this one family, rather than basically seeing this as the motivation for why the violence begins in the first place. Like literally living under oppression, so every aspect of your life being controlled, having no real opportunity. You can't open a business. You can't, uh, you know, do anything without approval from, uh, you know, a different a country that doesn't represent you. These soldiers. Mm-hmm. Um, control every aspect of your life, despite the fact that they're not there to protect you, um, I, you know, uh, will be stopped and they'll ask for my ID and I am not treated like a citizen. It's not a police officer who's there to, you know, look after your interests. You are a threat. Um, and if they're in a good mood, it's a normal mundane interaction. And if they're in a bad mood, it can be a humiliating interaction. And so you are always constantly at the mercy of this different group of people. Um, you did say no, something interesting, though, yeah, here. You said that the the show portrayed that if Hamas didn't exist, then there wouldn't be this terror, this violence. But Hamas is Dafka portrayed as the one who 
who no, I'm disagreeing with that. order. Yeah, you no, disagree I'm with that. With that notion. Yeah, so, so this... But I've been told that Hamas um, has condemned lone wolf attacks because it wants to monopolize these terror attacks, not for the sake of terror, but for the sake of having a bargaining chip against Israel when negotiating for their rights or for bettering their conditions or for returning prisoners. Um, in season two, episode two, um, you know, Abu Samara calls Nadil um, the, the new uh, terrorist, right? Because you had Abu Ahmed uh, with uh, season one and then you have a uh, Nidal, why did I say Nadil? Nidal, I wrote it wrong. Um, and, you know, he, he explains to Nidal how lone wolf attacks are so dangerous to, you know, um, first of all, Palestinian lives, um, that they it needs to go through them because through them they're able to do it in a way that is used as a bargaining chip, meaning they know what limits to cross and what don't in order to, you know, better their conditions. Um, and that for me, again, was ground groundbreaking because you talk to every Israeli and right away, the first thing we say is, but Hamas, 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 right? Like that's the thing, but everyone, Hamas, like, you know, we're just totally flipping shits about, you know, the terror and, and thinking that, you know, they're training children to kill us and all this stuff. And yet then the head of you know the the Hamas quarter in the West Bank is saying we don't terror to terrorize to terrorize, you know. Yeah, it's, I mean it's, it's politically motivated. Strategy, it's politically uh, motivated exactly. Sure, when it's it, politi it's politically motivated, but um, I mean, <laughs> uh, ultimately it's it, it's 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 sort of it, it's sort of their fault, right? Like, uh, or it's a Montague's and Capulets thing. That that's the way the show depicts it. So. Um, you know, Abu Ahmad is motivated by the fact that he, he's he's trying to get revenge or at least the attack. And then the fact that, you know, I, I don't know how you can see him as not being vilified, given the, the guy is basically out to, you know, uh, create a sarin gas attack um, inside, you know, uh, Israel. And you have no idea what his motivations are. Um, he's basically a generic, a generic uh, Bond villain. Um, you know, he's... Uh, um, like every other character from the show, I mean, he's totally replaceable as well. I mean, you, he could literally be any other Muslim Arab terrorist. Well, Nahon, in, in season three, um, Hila, um, the how do you say Diskait in English? She's the one behind the computer screen, the one telling the, uh, the special operatives. First of all, there's a question someone asked. If what language Faud is in, so it's in Arabic and it means chaos, just uh, for anyone who's wondering. Um, but Hila, you know, when she talks about uh, trying to uh, get rid of um, Hani al-Jabriri or uh, Abu Muhammad, however they call him, uh, she says that, you know, this is a never-ending cycle. It doesn't matter who you take down, there will always be someone to take their place. Mm. Um, right. And I guess, but, but you never really understand why, um, right? Like why does, does, does this keep happening? And 
the reason for that is that you just don't see the backstory of any of these people's lives. Um, uh, you don't know what they're upset about, other than that, you know. I mean, there's a vague notion that uh, Abu Ahmed is motivated by like both like a sort of Islamist desire to attack Israel and then basically uh, um, revenge at the death of his brother. At least the attack Are, on the night in the nightclub. In in and this is a really ignorant question, but. Uh, are there Christians in Hamas? Yes. I mean, that's, that's the other thing. It's like, even um, though it's Islamist group, can you explain that to me? Like, well, I, I mean, I think it's just basically my head doesn't people. wrap around it, but it's an Islamist uh, group. Yeah. Or I so mean, they say. I mean, yeah, I, I think they're Islamists in the sense that um, I think they're prag- pragmatic first and Islamist second. But like, ultimately, and this is sort of the sort of like overall point is that mm-hmm. if you depicted the back the backdrop of people's stories um, as to like what they lived through, um, it feels like a struggle against tyranny. Um, uh, you know, there, there is no group of people in the world that would agree to live like this. Um, it you know, you randomly come into my home. You you know. Pff- go through my drawers and I, I I don't know who you are. You're going to come there in the middle of the night. You're not there to protect me. You're not, uh, this isn't like a SWAT team raiding a house. Um, you're not even necessarily there to get me, you know, round up, you know, the men tell them to sit in one room, um, you know, manhandle my father or my sister or my brother. And then you're going to do this in a mundane, regular way. Like this isn't some big dramatic mission where they're there to get, you know, an operative that's about to use chemical weapons. This is, this is what they do in anticipation of, of uh, chaos breaking out. Um, right, but you do know that Israel prevents so many terrorist attacks. Like, I mean, I'm not talking about 2020 or now because of Corona, but you know, up until 2019, Israel prevents hundreds, you know, if not thousands, of terrorist attacks. Even if they're as small and as stupid as you know, just you know, someone coming with a knife. Obviously, I'm not saying all of them or even any of them are as clever or as evil, I don't know how you want to describe it as, you know, using chemical weapons, but Israel does prevent these things on a daily. Um, And just like you feel that, you know, um, it's actually not just like you feel, but I feel like um, in the show, it kind of, you know, on the Israeli side, uh, the second scene um, actually, can we put on the second scene? I just feel like it explains kind of how Israeli soldiers act and why they act the way they do, because they're seen as villainous and evil who like in the international arena, right. Who just enjoy killing and enjoy, uh, occupying. Is, and that, enjoy- is that this one? Yeah. Um, if, if the sound doesn't work, um, I completely quoted everything. So we can try. Uh, so a little bit of context. I don't know if it was heard well. I didn't hear it that well. But um, what happens is Abu Ahmed uh, and Walid, his uh, second in hand, 
they kidnapped Boaz, one of the operatives in Doron's team. Doron is the uh, main character, the protagonist of the show. And um, they, in turn, for Boaz, they kidnap uh, the Sheikh Abdallah, okay, who is like a father and spiritual figure to uh, Abu Ahmed, or you say the panther, Al-Fahid, right? Am, mm. am I right? Yeah, okay. Um, and then Nirit is a, Nurit is a girl, and this would never happen, by the way, her going um, as a special operative into Palestinian territories. Believe me, I know, you can't do it. Um, and so she starts crying when they see that the Israeli operatives are torturing this man, and this man looks at Nurit and begs her to stop them, you know, seeing, looking for her to com- uh, some compassion as a woman. And she turns around and, like, leaves the building and starts crying. Then she asks Avichai, the guy who was speaking, um, how do you guys do it? And he basically uh, compared himself to, and, and in general, uh, the, the team into fighting dogs. Basically, they are trained to act, not to question. And when they do act, they have to disassociate themselves from reality in order to be able to do the things that they're doing. They have to disconnect from what's going on. And Avichai and a lot of other characters throughout the show repeats it as kind of being semi-dead. Semi-dead because you can't allow yourself to be a person. You can't allow yourself to act like a father or a friend or a brother. You can't allow yourself to feel because once you feel, you can't actually carry out the missions or the orders that are given to you. Um, So he says, you know, did you ever see a fight dog uh, get an order to attack? He does it immediately. Nothing else matters to him. He pounces with the aim to kill. He doesn't care if his head gets chopped off doing it. We, Nurit, are just like these dogs. That's how we we are trained. We have to dissociate ourselves. We need to disconnect. Um, It's like being dead. And um, so understand that the soldiers who are doing the raids or the soldiers who are, you know, ordered to shoot or do any of these things that seem humane. I'm not saying all of them are great and they just, you know, have to disconnect. There's shitty people everywhere. And I'm sure there's shitty soldiers in the IDF, but let's just take it like your everyday person. Um, they have to disconnect themselves. They, they, they don't want to do this. They don't want to inflict pain. They don't, they don't take joy in occupying. I just don't think, I, I, I didn't really take issue with those seeds though. Like, and I, I guess that's what I expect the show to do in, in sort of explaining like what the soldiers are going through and what motivates them. But I, I, I don't really feel like, I, I don't know how to express enough that what the show is depicting, depicting is a fictional reality. So the, the people involved in the show who are harassed, who are subjected to, uh, you know, whether it's the Serena, the checkpoint or the raids, are all directly related to, you know, are all directly connected to this guy who is about to conduct an attack with, with chemical weapons. Of course, you're going to feel as a viewer, do whatever is required to stop that attack. Right? Like, like, this Would is you just say the same if Israel has to prevent hundreds and hundreds of terrorist attacks? It's beside the point. And that's the reality, though. Yeah, but you never understand why the violence, what motivates the violence, which is that we are living under your military rule and that is the point this isn't something that's happening to one person or two people there isn't a family mm-hmm. in the west bank who's familiar with the raids 
you know, uh, how many possible Hamas operatives could there be in the entire in the entirety of Palestine? It's like fifty thousand people, a hundred thousand people, two point eight million people live in the West Bank. All of them live under the military rule. This is our mundane aspect of our lives. You know, this isn't uh, this dramatic scene where they're there to. Uh, you know, uh, get this Bond villain out from putting aside the fact that the entire like kind of premise is, is inaccurate or silly. And that it's like a Hamas operative rather than like the PFLP or like where they're located or the nature of the attacks, which, you know, since the second to father are like more lone wolf attacks or somebody stabbing someone at a checkpoint or, uh, firing at soldiers or, uh, um, you know, hitting them with a car. Um, the show is constantly trying to reinforce this narrative that this is very much about security rather than like the the reason palestinian popular resistance exists is because no group of people on earth are willing to be subjugated to tyranny it's like sex and tyrannis you are controlling my life in every way what gives you the right to come into my home what gives you the right to control my banking what gives you the right to control my, my movement why what gives you the right to control my movement from a town, you know, two Palestinian towns. Why are you there? Um, when you say security, it's like, well, why do you think we are attacking you? Like, it's not just because you exist. It's because of what you're doing to us, both historically and what you're still doing today. It's not like we live in a system, you know, it's not like, you know, Israelis want to live as equals with Palestinians and Palestinians just won't have it. Um, it is, you know, I, I don't, really take issue with any of the scenes that try to humanize the soldiers it doesn't matter to me because I, I feel their mission is fundamentally evil there is sort of no moral way to do it and i've interacted with soldiers who uh were very very nice very 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 pleasant and there was no pleasant way to do what they were doing there is no present way to have segregation there's no present way to deprive someone of their civil rights i mean you're just basically uh um very politely um doing an evil thing um, but, and that's what we feel. You know, it isn't about, like, do I understand what the soldier is going through? I mean, mm -hmm. I've met, and in fact, well, I can for tell. for me, it's important, you know, because you might not demonize them, but the international arena sure does a good job of demonizing them. And so for me, especially when we're having, you know, this discussion live, and I don't know who's watching it, if it's only Israeli Palestinians or people from all over, like for me, it is important to, to to point out that no, we're not inherently evil. Just like, for example, for some reason, Palestinians have to explain that to Israelis as if it was just like, you know, not obvious to people that no person is born inherently evil. Right. Um, and, and so and I'll kind of move on from this, this point, but I, I don't think at any point are the motivations of Palestinians understood even putting aside ideology. I mean, someone you did remind me, though, something. So you said everyone does it out of revenge, right? But in season two, uh, Abu Maher, who is like, you know, Abu Mazen in the show, um, his son, Maher, obviously Abu Maher, um, he wants to join the resistance because of the occupation and because the Zionists stole their land and he's not, you know, and he lives under occupation. And there was actually a scene about it. Now, this scene that I'm going to ask Adar to put on talks about um, the Israeli narrative as to how they see, you know, their existence and probably explains why Abu Mazen has these security coordinations with Israel. But right beforehand, it's just because I couldn't put a scene longer than 30 seconds. Um, they're, they're in Tel Aviv, Yafo. They're speaking just, you know, the two. And 
you know, uh, Abu Maher is like, uh, how beautiful is this place? And he says, it's beautiful, but it's not ours anymore. So like, you know, um, they took it from us. Um, and then Abu Maher says the following. Um, so the volume didn't work, um, but in general, um, he says, you know, um, do you honestly think that you can destroy all those structures, annihilate all of Israel, bring down all those buildings, you know? And then he says, and then Maher adds, no, dad, they're, they're, you know, they're just buildings. And he says, no, son, they're not just buildings. Do you realize what kind of industries exist here? That the economy here is just like America. It's not like the rest of the Middle East. There are startups here like in Silicon Valley in America. And most, important here, most importantly, people here get to live. They don't want to die. Wake up. They're not simply going to vanish. Now, I'm not saying that this is a right portrayal. What I'm saying is that this quote is able to sum up the Israeli narrative and what they wish Palestinians could see um, when, you know, they try to attack and destroy the Zionist state. Um, the fact that if you are to be part of this country, you'd be part of a booming economy. And, you know, for some reason, I mean, we can talk actually about the reason why Israel is different than every other Middle Eastern country um, in the region. And then he says, wake up, you know, wake up. They're not going anywhere. And I feel like Israeli... I, I just think that was tangential. Yeah, like, okay. Like we don't think... The, 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 the Palestinians aren't upset because of all the Israeli startups. No, like of course not. I'm not um, saying they're upset because of it. I'm just saying these are the, the, the quote stated was what Israelis kind of want Palestinians to see. Like, you know, living under our rule would be better for you. I'm not saying necessarily under occupation, but just under the Israeli state would be better because we are unlike any other state in the Middle East. I mean... Uh, yeah, I, 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 I kind of, um, first of all, it feeds into this idea that like when, when like when, you know, you hear Palestinians want to destroy Israel, like we're there to like take down your startup buildings and your industry and, and whatnot. And it's like, uh, uh, again, it, it just says nothing about what people's narrative or motivations are. So, um, I mean, we already live under your rule. It's terrible. You know, it's it's fundamentally like you know uh, about putting the rights of one ethnic group over the other. I mean, that's the point of the whole thing. I mean, it's why, it's why uh, you know one state is an idea that's ever going to be popular in Israeli society. Um, it's, it's it's a demographics thing, um, and then 
the military rule is basically the reality of how you achieve that. Like in a land with, you know, uh, effectively a 50-50 population, you know, it's like half Arab and half Jewish. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you basically run that country, control those borders, um, given that why would the other half of the country agree to live under the rule of one ethnic group? Um, people have a fundamental notion of fairness. Um, you know about what a fundamental notions of a fundamental notion of fairness um, or equality. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know we we can recognize that it's like an animal nature. Um, uh, Israel has never treated Palestinians as as equals. Um, we're treated like cattle, whether it's at you know checkpoints or the way uh, soldiers treat us when they're in the West Bank. Um, you know we're treated as guests in the country that we were born in, our fathers were born in, our grandfathers were born in, our great-grandfathers were born in, and we've lived it in generations. Um, and uh, then people are surprised that we want to resist that. You know, people are surprised that we refuse to live under um, you know, the ethnic rule of another group. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, 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 mean I, I don't... I guess I'm surprised that Israelis think that that we don't understand that. I mean, for a start, so much of the West Bank works in Israel. Um, so it's not like we don't have interactions with Israeli industry or Israeli people. Um, uh, you know, it, it's it, that's not the issue. It, it's the ideology that underlies like all the all the interactions that that we have, um, which is basically that that we're, you know this is your country and, and we're guests in it, um, and it would be you know um, we'd be saving you a lot of hassle if we all just. Um, uh, went elsewhere. I mean, that, that, that's why you refer to us as Arabs rather than Palestinians most of the time. Um, there's just this sense of, like, well, they can be anywhere. Why are they here hogging up um, this place as ours? Um, and, you know, that's how we're treated all the time. Even Arab Israelis who supposedly have equal rights um, still live in a country which has a Jewish nation state law that basically uh, effectively disenfranchises their identity from the state. Um, and, uh, and yet they know, vote for Bibi. Not all of them, but still, it just—I mean, that's a very. It baffles me. It just baffles uh, me, like. But uh, I, I guess you can't claim to be humanizing a group of people if you if you never ex- explain what their lives are like. And I'm not talking about having this like monologue where people explain their narrative or their, their ideology, because mm-hmm. just showing people's day to day lives, um, which is depicted in the show, they just you're just depicting a different group of people. Uh, or more or less like token Palestinians. I mean, you could more or less replace those people with Iraqis or, uh, you know, uh, Syrians or any other group of Arab Muslim characters that are upset at, um, you know, uh, the, the influence that a different state has had on them, whether it's America. I mean, it, it's like uh, it's like a common thriller plot. Um, and all of the characters in the show are fairly shallow. Um, but the Palestinians never explain, you know, uh, their attachment to the land. Um, uh, you, you never see, for, you don't see the lives of farmers, the destruction of olive trees, their inability to access basic resources, their history there, um, what this place means to them, why they refuse to leave, despite the fact that it is literally a dead end. I mean, there's no future. I mean, there are very few careers where you can sort of imagine a future for yourself. There's uh, no opportunity, and it's entirely because our lives are controlled by a country that we don't vote in, that we aren't part of. Um, mm-hmm. that more or less imposes its sovereignty on our, the entire set of borders 
Um, and then we have this like Bantu stone regime that is the PA. Um, that you know, uh, uh, we we constant the, the the buck is constantly passed back to them as to why why things suck in, inside um are you know pa like Palestinian territories, quote unquote, area A and area B in uh, Gaza. Um, and then there's the whole like the good Palestinians and the bad Palestinians show. Um, you know, the Israelis love the good Palestinians, and Dr. whether it's like Dr. Shireen or uh, Bashar. Um, and then this like savior complex um, where, uh, you know, yeah, if, if only all Palestinians were like this. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's really funny to me um, because it, it basically, you know, uh, feeds into the idea that, you know, Palestinians have to be rational for wanting to resist uh, living under tyranny. Um, but, you know, they have, they have to be pushed crazy. into a, a stage of desperation. And you have to understand that it's okay. The, the, for me, the actors are a symbol of, you know, the IDF and the Israeli state. And what the show shows is how our state has pushed Palestinians into a place of desperation. I mean, had you guys not been in, put in this place of desperation that, you know, is consequence of us, you know, removing you from the land and then occupying you, you know, would you turn to terrorism? So you're taking the so show so literally that that's what I feel like. That's my take. Well, I'm looking at it symbolically and it could be that I'm completely BSing, you know, the analysis and it's only because I'm influenced from the several conversations that you and I have had and I've had with other Palestinians but I just feel like there's an underlying motif and it's, it's not that it's revenge because I killed your brother. It's the fact that, you know, Israel has put Palestinians in a place of desperation that make them act in ways that they wouldn't act had they not been put in this situation. And I disagree with that too. Um, Cause that's, that's usually like, I, I, I think, the Israel, Israel and, and as a government, you know, trying to mm -hmm. act its own rational self-interests, totally understands pushing Palestinians. They, they actually like, they have their boots on our necks just enough that there's no intifada, and they know that if they over if they overdo it, people will, you know, uh, push back violently. Um, so they do it just enough that people remain sedated. You know, uh, there's enough money that trickles in. There's just enough. Um, of an economy, there's just enough opportunity. There's just enough, you know, uh, people getting permits to work. You know, there's there's just enough of a livelihood that people don't immediately just uh, have a revolution. Um, but there's not so much. Um, there's not so little. I mean, uh, that you know, people will then push back quite naturally. Uh, you know, if there, even if our lives were better, our reaction is going to be exactly the same. Um, uh, ultimately, we aren't going to accept being second-class citizens. No group of people in the world does indefinitely. Um, and I feel like the show is, it's almost like trying to explain, like, you know, so priests of the right you're America. Saying, you're saying that if the Palestinians weren't occupied, then they would still act the same? Because that's what I'm saying. I'm saying, had they not been occupied, you, you being occupied by us has put you in a place of desperation, yes? It doesn't matter if it's you're living large or you're living, you know, whatever. 
Well, I'm more referring to this idea that you know people think that like if we improve the economy and we give people you know better jobs and better lives and they're financially better off, then the problem goes away. I think that's uh, totally so. Tragic. I was I was for I was referring to the occupation. I was referring to the fact that you guys that the Palestinians live you know unfreely. Sure, I mean the occupation is it in a nutshell, but like, uh, and so that. What I'm asking you is if you no. disagree with me on the on the statement that had Palestinians not been occupied and not been evacuated by their lands by Israelis, okay, would there still be terrorism or well, freedom what, what, fighters? What would there be? Because what I'm stating and what I'm we seeing free, the show is stating, sure. I just don't think that that's what the, show is. the occupation leads you to desperation. And leads you to resist violently. And had you been free to begin with, you no, no one would choose that path or very little, you know, because, again, there's shitty people on each side. Um, um, I mean, there would be no freedom fighters if people were free. I mean, that's sort of implied in the term. Um, so I, I, I don't know what that means. I mean, just if you're looking at it from historically, like... Um, the people who lived in 48 lands were going to resist their lands being taken away from them. Um, mm-hmm. And the people who are now alive in the, you know, who live in the West Bank are going to resist being dominated in the West Bank. Uh, we are also going to resist being denied equality, you know, in whatever mm-hmm. form that comes in, whether that comes in the form of two states or, uh, you know, an actual democratic state um, is beside the point. Uh, at the end of the day, people recognize a basic notion of fairness. And it's one thing for us to fundamentally object to the history how we got to this point but lots of countries have an ugly history lots of people can look at the past and be like well you know uh we'll never be ex- we'll never accept the past but you know it, the past is what it is it's also mm-hmm. the present we still live like this um and uh yeah i mean it, it, if the show had even made a small attempt at just depicting uh what people's lives were what their narrative was um you would sort of understand what the characters were motivated by and i think it, it well it's suppressing on both ends because if you think the conflict is about palestinians seeking revenge for, for the deaths of their family members then you think it's intractable it's montagues and capulets is basically mm-hmm. this like never-ending cycle of violence it's a vendetta which is more akin to the way like palestinian you know uh families or uh you know the sicilian like mob has problems with each other than the Israeli-Palestine conflict. It's a totally different situation. How, what would you recommend the Fauda producers and directors, if they were to see this show, uh, this video, this clip of you and I, uh, to what could they do differently um, to more accurately portray the Palestinian narrative in the conflict? Um, you know, given that it's still a show and it's action, but what, you know, small tips or things that they could do. Um, I, I think there's other, maybe we can look at this in other TV shows, but, um, uh, just show, show the backstory to the characters' lives, how they got to the point where they did, what, why did Abu Ahmad become Abu Ahmad? Uh, what motivated these characters? What did they actually live through? What did they see growing mm-hmm. up? You don't have to have many scenes, I mean, plenty of yeah. shows. Uh, they, they bothered to include this like wedding scene to explain the motivations of, of these characters. And you could just have easily included a real scene of what people actually go through. Um, uh, you know, we have a normal human reaction to having freedom deprived 
from us. It's the same reaction that every group of people um, has had. Um, and never at any point is that depicted. Um, you see basically Israelis going about their lives, Palestinians going about their lives, and then these pesky terrorists get in the way. Um, you know, these pesky uh, Hamas operatives inside the West Bank that, 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 that suck in. Um, and, and Doron's a similar sort of character. Like the people... The people around the, around both Doron and, and the operatives in both shows, they're the reason for the violence. You know, everyone who's related to them or who knows them by association sucked into the black hole of violence that these characters represent. Um, and it's sort of trying to create this idea that, like, um, you know, if it wasn't for this this like Montagues and Capulets thing, then, then it's all a great big misunderstanding. Um, and why that falls on deaf ears for me is that. Why people are upset is an experience common to every single person who lives in in the West Bank or every single person mm -hmm. who lives in Gaza. Um, this is a state that everybody is in. Um, it isn't, you know. Uh, well, in Gaza, they're not technically occupied. Yeah, they're blockaded, um, and we can. I mean, that that's funny in and of itself. Like in season three, you see these um, these West Bank traders um, inside mm -hmm. Gaza, and a West Bank man getting getting married to a woman in Gaza. Which is yeah, that would never happen. Ken, I, I saw the scene too, and I was just like, mm. I mean, it could, but it's very difficult, right? It's more or less impossible. I mean, even just my ability to visit Gaza is extremely limited. Um, it's not easy. I have to apply for a permit uh, well in advance. I have to have an extremely good reason. Um, uh, you know, it, the intermarriage is another thing that's been cut off. I mean, most people in Gaza are refugees, so they're not from Gaza, from places all over the land. And a lot of them are from the exact same families as the people in the West Bank. And now they're totally cut off from each other. Um, my best bet at hanging out with a, with Gaza and friends that I have is going to Turkey. And then we can both meet up there. Like, there, you know, the, 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 there's some very basic research that I feel like the show producers should have done. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that really comes across, like, in a lot of different scenes. So you mentioned this earlier. Like, you know, you have this... Uh, Khalili boxer, this Hebronite boxer, he doesn't have a Hebronite accent. Or the fact that there's there, there's these scenes where, you know, the the Palestinian militants are trying to figure out if um, uh, the IDF soldier is actually, um, is really Palestinian or whether he's an undercover agent. Um, and he's speaking this like hilarious accent. <laughs> he's claiming to be from a place that, you know, uh, it would be like saying you're from California in like the most heavy Texan cowboy accent. Like, it, is is really funny, um, and uh, I guess if they had like any consultants or uh, mm -hmm. I don't know, I I feel like maybe they got an Arab Israeli opinion on the show, but I I, I don't feel like they uh, um, had much in the way of a Palestinian influence um, on the show, and it's entertainment ultimately. Like it's not mm -hmm. there to uh, you know solve the conflict or help both sides understand each other. Um, but it is frustrating to have bothered depicting the lives of Palestinians at all um, and uh, never once explaining you know, their narratives. I mean, uh, Shireen lives a life that maybe the most upper, upper, upper class Palestinians you know, uh, get to lead. Um, none of the characters make any sense. Um, Abu Ahmad is a generic you know, Islamic terrorist. You can replace him with you know, a scene from... Uh, uh, just about any American thriller. Um, there's no understanding of what motivates him. There's, uh, 
you know, no understanding of what he's lived through. Um, uh, and he's just basically a Bond villain. He's sort of a caricature. Um, there's, uh, you know, and, and like while, you know, the Israeli soldiers are dysfunctional and sometimes they break the law, ultimately they're, you know, part of this like great moral cause. So they are there to protect civilians. They are there to protect the lives of their own people. Um, while the Palestinian militants are out for revenge. Uh, or they're misguided in some way, um, you know. And if they if they would only see reason, if they if they if they were only not mad, even the way that I mean, you know, even the way they're described as like radicals, um, mm-hmm. you know, if if they if they only they weren't crazy, then they'd see that they would be they were evil. And that's like a classic shallow Bond villain character. So it would have been nice for the Palestinians to be depicted in at least the same way as the uh, Israeli characters. You know, it's dysfunctional and flawed, but ultimately part of some cause that sort of makes sense um because they make sense to anybody who lives there like if you had yeah. grown up in West Bank you would understand them and, mm-hmm. and that's sort of the point and that's what the show needed to do in order to understand um you know, to to really humanize the characters it was, it was claiming to humanize mm-hmm. it's interesting because um if I may bring up the third scene uh that we were talking about it it validates what you say, but it also like meaning that it's like coming from vendetta, but it also validates what I say when I feel like in the show, I don't think there was necessarily a good guy and a bad guy. And I felt like in the last episode of season two, um, when uh, Nadal captures uh, Doron and his son, he tells him an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You killed my father. I killed yours. You killed my brother. And now I'm going to kill you. Uh, and then he says to him, Doron, Doron, can't you tell we're the same? And Doron says, uh, no, we're not the same. Uh, I don't kill innocent civilians. And so he is quick to respond. You claim it's not on purpose. Um, again, I know that it, it it doesn't suffice, I guess, um, for a Palestinian to see it. And you still feel like Nadal is vilified. Or he's misguided. Or misguided. He's right. So... Um, yeah, so it strengthens you in that sense that he's, you know, uh, misguided or that it comes from a vendetta rather from, you know, a struggle for liberation. On the other hand, to be depicted. And also Doron, um, he tell, when he tries to infiltrate into the Hamas and like become like a terrorist, this, and he says, I'm a shaheed. I'm a shaheed. A Jew is saying he's a shaheed and he's willing to be a shaheed, meaning to me, maybe again, I was looking at so critically, right? Because of this discussion we were having, I was just like, you know, holy F, they are literally comparing an Israeli operative to a Hamas member and showing them as the same. Yeah, I, I guess so. That that scene, um, 
where uh, you know Doran has that conversation. Um, I, I guess I would he- I would see Israelis hear that scene and then basically respond by saying, um, "But it isn't intentional," um, and so immediately dismiss what what the character is saying. Well, it isn't intentional. We don't. We're not doing it intentionally. Um, and as far as you know, deliberately wanting to kill civilians. No, I don't think that's intentional. I just think they're collateral damage to the ideology. Um, and that's, you know, sort of the point. Um, uh, I'm, uh, somebody's commenting in the chat that... Uh, yeah, there's no um, Palestine you know, and they're Jordanian. I was looking at the comments. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, p- putting that uh, aside, I think Rashi was saying something like, um, you know, uh, you have a right to defend yourself. Um Right, and then you never you never see Palestinians defending themselves. They're they're motivated by revenge. You know, their uh, motivation is basically simply that they're unwilling to accept. You know, uh, you know the existence of Israelis, while uh, mm-hmm. the Israelis are just trying to protect protect their own people. Um, are they defending? I I I I personally, Danny, right now I'm uh, talking to as an individual completely understand why Palestinians, you know, resist. Because again, I live freely. I live as a first class citizen. If it was the other way around and we talked about this last video, you know, I definitely resist for you know and fight for my freedom. But the question is, do Palestinians protect? Do they defend? Because when they do attack, when they do resist, when they choose vilest resistance in particular, uh, they are putting their family in jeopardy. They are putting their loved ones in jeopardy. They are putting everyone they love in jeopardy for their resistance. So I'm not delegitimizing, God forbid, the the need to you know resist occupation. I'm simply asking you a question. Maybe this could be something we can discuss right now. Is it defending? And if so, um, why? Well, I mean, basically, uh, what would you do, right? Um, you know, if uh, you know, if, if the Israelis withdrew uh, from the West Bank tomorrow, which I know isn't actually possible anymore because now there's like eight hundred thousand settlers in the West Bank. Um, but back in the day when it was all possible, if they had withdrawn mm-hmm. from 67 borders and Gaza, um, do you think there'd still be a conflict today? Hmm. I think so. Why? I mean, it's contrary to exactly what's happened with every other, you know, whether Not- it's Jordan or uh, Egypt. Um, because if they had accepted that plan, it would have been reluctantly. I mean, I mean, if the plan would have gone through, it would have been reluctantly. No side would have been satisfied. There would have been hostility that could, uh, you know, create the surface for another war. Um, so that's yeah, my I, I, don't, I don't think any side uh, is ever completely satisfied um, yeah. after the war. I think it's more uh, people would have moved on by now. Um, the new generation would have moved on. It would be like Jordan's relationship with Israel. Um, uh, instead, um, you know, there is an ideological desire um, to continue to have an Israeli presence inside um, 
you know, the West Bank. Um, and so uh, those deals were ne- those deals were never possible. Um, it, it, it's like it doesn't really matter what your preferred solution is, but if you just begin with the premise that you treat the needs and desires of either group of people as equal to your own, then there wouldn't be a conflict to begin with. I mean, whether it's like one, simply just one equal democratic state. I mean, both of us, both of us recognize the exact same borders are, are our own. Um, that idea is anathema to, um, you know, most Israeli Jews. Um, and uh, likewise, uh, for a, you know, an ideological portion of the population that you know felt it was very important you know, the connection to the land and inside uh, the West Bank was more important to them than you know sort of like a two-state political solution um, and a similar a similar ideological portion on our side people from Akka aren't going to accept living in the West Bank people from Nasra we are from all over the land we're not from just the West Bank and Gaza and so people would have, would never have been happy with that as a solution. But a generation down the line, I don't think there would have, there would still be a conflict, and I I, I do largely think that's like out the window today. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't think that I personally don't think that is uh, possible. Um, but uh, again, you never really understand, um, you know, the motivations of any of the uh, Palestinian um, characters on the show, um, and none of their actions really seem justifiable. Um, you know, it doesn't seem justifiable to murder, you know, hundreds of thousands of uh, civilians with sarin gas because somebody killed your sister um, or your brother. That is the motivation of a Bond villain, um, you know, uh, rather than depicting basically a, a struggle for liberation that an entire group of people is experiencing um, uh, or a connection to the land. The fact that this is just the, the only home, you know, these people will know. You know, we are from tribes and clans that have lived in particular areas all over the land for generations on generations on generations. Um, and nothing will ever sever that connection. I mean, so you can take one of two approaches, either, either you know, focus on the fact that everybody has this connection to the land and so everybody shouldn't live in it. Um, uh, or you can speak about... Um, uh, a desire for equality or freedom or, or liberation or nationhood. Um, and both approaches kind of ideologically fall on deaf ears. Um, and I think uh, that is what's frustrating about the show. And, and also just like how the characters engage with each other. You know, Abigador Lieberman, um, a defense minister, said, uh, you know, in the Gaza war that there were no innocent people in Gaza. Um, and that is like the exact opposite of how, uh, you know, the characters behave on the show. Um, they they are flawed. They are socially dysfunctional um, and they make mistakes. But ultimately, you look at these Israeli undercover operatives and you think, well, they're just there to protect their people. And so you completely understand their motivations and you see that they're human and how they do it, and sometimes even clearly immoral. Um, and I think that's what Israelis thought was the brave part. Um, but the Palestinian characters are basically just, their cause on Folda is fundamentally uh, wrong. It's it's motivated by vendettas and by a desire for revenge rather than I mean, either liberation. Yeah, the, the, the main characters, but, you know, all the supporting characters 
um, are portrayed as just people on the other side of the fence, quote unquote, but they're just, you know, it's like uh, Bashar's sister. Um, what was her name? Haifa. You know, uh, when she wasn't willing to rat out what her brother was going to do um, uh, to the Israelis. And like, you know, you talk about mashtapim. Um, um, I'm looking for the word. People who like coordinate with Israel. Traitors, I guess. Um you know, you just see her. She's just like, you know, um, a faithful sister, a person who's just trying to, quote unquote, not living her best life. But, you know, she's not this evil thing. And even though she doesn't like Zionists, even though, you know, she was just like, you're the reason for my suffering. You don't hate her. You don't say, oh, my God, what a B word. Like, you know, I can't believe you. You're just so evil. You know, you just see these people as innocents. That's exactly what they are. And even. And, and and I don't see it, again, as good Arab and bad Arab because um, in the last season, um, when Avichai is interrogated for accidentally killing one of the IDF soldiers in uh, one of their operations that was sent to um, uh, bring down uh, Abu Muhammad, uh, the interrogator, I don't know if Adar wants to put on the scene. I just feel like it's kind of maybe meh because there's no. It's up to you, of course. There's no, no audio. Um, uh, yeah, I. Hold on, where's my video? Yeah, I got to. We got to figure out the audio for next time, but uh, we'll figure that out why it's not working. Whoever so, didn't notice, though, there, there are subtitles, though, that you can that you can read. I mean, I can, I quoted it. So if anyone's even watching and just wants to write down the comments, what they prefer. Um, <laughs> is it this one? Yeah. Cool. Were, were you able to hear it that time? Uh, yeah, towards the end. Yeah, so I, I figured it out. I just need to be on the screen and then you could hear it. Okay, we figured it out. Problem solved. For next time. Um, so basically the interrogator, um, asks him about, you know, the IDF soldier. And then he's like, okay, well, what about, you know, this Palestinian child, you know, who was shot and what about the woman above the bakery? And what about this? And what about that? And, you know, we, Israelis talk about collateral damage, collateral damage, collateral damage. And we kind of, you know, disconnect ourselves from the people who are these collateral damage. And yet in this scene, you can't escape it. You can't disconnect. Like even the interrogators are like, yo, these are people. These are innocent bystanders. How can you explain this? Now, the scene that was shown defends, right, how, why you see as much collateral damage as you do. Um, and so that scene was really meant to defend the narrative, but let's just take it back and let's not defend the Israeli narrative. 
let's look at it at the point that the show is talking about Palestinian civilians as innocent bystanders, as people who should not have paid the price of this conflict, and yet they do. And he was suspended because of all the quote-unquote collateral damage. Um, I guess, I mean, the way, the way I feel about that is I feel whenever Israelis are trying to defend their narrative, they're constantly trying to explain why they had no other choice. And insofar as you begin with the goal, mm-hmm. uh, the ideological premise, yes, you have no other choice. There is no way to uh, you know, establish a Jewish majority state uh, in a place that wasn't without ethnically cleansing the population. There is no way to control 2.8 million people in the West Bank or uh, you know, 2 million people in Gaza without either blockading or uh, you know, occupying them and forcing them to live under military rule. Um, uh, and there is no way to uh, uh, defend yourself other than the way that they do. Yes, it's an inevitable function of the premise. So in that sense, no, I, I get that portion of it. I get why soldiers do what they do. Uh, I get why it's strategic. Um, and what, you know, I, I get what motivates um, uh, Israelis or the Israeli government or uh, Israeli soldiers. I just mm-hmm. think the mission itself is evil. Um, so it, it's not an inability to understand like why they do it. Um, I also just don't think there was a way for them to do it differently. So I feel like far too much of the focus is placed on like, uh, okay, look at the soldiers behaving immorally in this one case or unprofessionally. Um, and, and a lot of that does it's happen. It's not even immoral just, or unprofessional. I said like in my beginning, I wanted the scene to defend the Israeli narrative. But right now I want to specifically, like you said, you get it. And I'm sure, uh, but w- what is interesting to me, what is groundbreaking, right? Because my first sentence, like, what do I see about the show in a nutshell is that it's groundbreaking is um, they made you feel attached. It made me feel attached to the collateral damage. The the way that Abihai also remembered each and one of his collateral damaged victims, you know, where they were standing, what they were wearing, what was their last expression in their face. Um, it's not something you see talked about. Um, at least I don't hear it. Again, it could be completely, you know, um, subjective. I don't hear people ever really discussing the collateral damage besides just defending themselves. But just you know, even putting like, you know, these were kids or this was a woman. This was a, an, an innocent bystander. Like you said, Avidor Lieberman, he said there is no such thing as an, a, an, an innocent Palestinian. So this show shows that it, that's not the case. Most are innocent. Um, they kind of, it was a subtle critique kind of. You can't disconnect yourselves to the Israeli audience of the people. I'll play devil's advocate. I'll play devil's advocate for the other side because I think I I just don't like, and and a lot of human rights organizations and uh, a lot of the focus is placed on like the collateral damage of the conflict. Um, And then there's this push to try to do it more morally, right? So it's like we're going to drop flyers on people's houses 
um, let them know we're about to bomb the place so that the civilians can leave. You know, we're going mm-hmm. to, uh, um, I don't know who it was who brought up the fact that, like, well, in the you know, Nakba, the Israelis, like, let the towns know in advance that they were coming, that if they left, it would be fine. And so the violence is just because that they, you know, they refuse to leave or whatever. Um, or, you know, and there, there is a constant desire and the idea of trying to fixate on this of like trying to do an immoral thing morally. And I feel it's tangential. Like, I just don't, I, it, it's, I don't think there's a way to do a good job here. Like, I, I, I don't know what else you could do. There's cases I can point out where I can go, okay, the, the, this is a bad policy. Israel needs to change its rules of engagement here. Um, but this is all tangential because there is just no way to do it that's not going to result in collateral damage. Occupy morally, no matter how long you may try. Take Israel trying to defend itself from Hamas rockets. So uh, Israel puts Hamas on the, you know, Gaza under a blockade because if they don't, they feel that, well, they'll buy weapons and arms. They don't um, feel. It's not a feeling. It's what they're doing. No, but it's an important nuance. We don't feel like they want to buy weapons to attack us. That's exactly what they're doing. I mean, again, the blockade is inhumane. I feel bad. I feel bad as an individual. The Palestinian, you know, the people in Gaza are blocked off from life. They can't leave. They can't, they, no one can enter. It's just like no man's land. I think that's what season three was trying to depict. Um, but I think the point that Israelis, like, like, yes, the first thing they would do is buy weapons because... Why wouldn't they? A, if you're the very first thing you're trying to do is protect yourself from future attack. The very first thing you do is buy weapons. Um, but you're not protecting. Uh, they're not like uh, maybe I'm wrong, but the Israeli narrative is, is not that they're protecting themselves. Israel left Gush Katif in 2005, and please correct me if I'm wrong and enlighten me, like you know, um, and try to give the Palestinians um, a chance at autonomy. Okay, and what? Hamas did with that autonomy was take all that money and funnel it to attack Israel. If you're a not brand new city, if you're a brand new, well, they didn't not to give it to the people. Brand new, but that's what every state did, right? The very first thing yeah. a state is, is the very the very it's, first thing a state does when it gets autonomy is buy weapons and arms. Um, Jordan has plenty of weapons, defensive and, and offensive weapons. Uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't see how many airplanes does does Hamas have? Um, I mean, no, nobody complains about Jordan or Egypt or uh, Syria or uh, any other state having arms. If you're a sovereign, if if you're supposed to be sovereign, if you're if you're actually independent, then you have a right mm-hmm. to buy weapons. Um, and then the usual state incentives exist. You know, uh, a heavily armed Jordan or a heavily armed Palestine isn't necessarily any more likely to attack. Um, that's the whole notion of, you know, and frankly, Hamas could buy weapons from here till, uh, you know, for, for a very, very long time without being a remotely credible military threat. Um, uh, but that's all beside the point. That's a much longer discussion, kind of mm-hmm. tangential to the to the kind of like, the point I was trying to make, which is that, you know, uh, rockets are fired uh, at mm-hmm. Israel. Israel wants to take out Hamas's ability to do so. And so it does it by bombing. Uh, to take Gaza. out what? I'm so sorry, to, I didn't hear you. To, to take out Hamas's ability to attack Israel. And so mm. it does it by bombing Gaza. And in the wake of that, uh, this extraordinarily densely populated area 
um, you know, uh, in 2014 girls of war, 2,000 Palestinians were killed, and 1,400 of whom were civilians, uh, 500 of whom were children, 300 were women. Um, there is a tremendous amount of collateral damage to that. Now, mm-hmm. Israelis say, well, what do you expect us to do? We have to take out Hamas. Um, they were attacking us. We're defending ourselves. And it's like, mm-hmm. yes, if you begin from, from these political premises, then this is the only way it's ever going to go. You can drop as many flyers and uh, try to bomb Gaza as morally as you like, but the outcome is going to be you're going to bury children beneath the rubble of buildings because there is no way to do it morally. Um, it is all or nothing. Like You're not going to get anywhere with half measures. You can't give people a little bit of freedom um you kind of uh you know pre-civil rights america um or uh you know bantustans in apartheid south africa weren't independence for the people who lived there um gaza is not independent it has no control over its borders no freedom of movement no control over its government uh no ability to build an economy uh, what do you mean no control over its government oh uh, i mean again that's sort of uh with, with hamas uh, not uh, elected I know that Israel helped Hamas go into power, but was it not elected? It's a much, it's a much longer conversation, but ultimately, uh, people's ability to first of all, Gaza and the West Bank are two separate places. You know, Gaza, the West Bank, and East Jerusalem are all part of the, uh, are all Palestinian. They're all part of the Palestinian nation. That's true. Just the West Bank and the Gaza are two different stories. They're not two different people. It's just two different stories. The well, West the Bank is proper occupied. The West Bank is Hamas as well. Um, They they just had their funding cut off. And so, uh, you know, their rule was ultimately replaced. Um, Gaza, the story of what happened gets into a much longer conversation about Palestinian Mm -hmm. politics. Um, But ultimately, Gazans aren't free. Um, And so, you know, you you need a complete political solution uh, before the conflict will end. And in the meantime, there is no way to do it morally. And the problem that you come down to today is that Israelis have no incentive to give a shit. Um, you know, this is a side conversation inside of Israeli politics. While we actually live this life, you know, well, you know, you have relative normal normalcy, um, and Israeli politics fundamentally talks about security rather than literally half the population of the land, the map that you see in your head when you think Israel, and I see in my head when I think Palestine. That is made up of literally 50% Arabs and 50%, you know, roughly Jews and other groups, all sorts of different ethnic groups there, Jerusalem, uh, Armenians, and, um, uh, you know, other, other minorities. But you, you're looking at like roughly a half quote unquote Palestinian, uh, group, um, and roughly a half Israeli Jewish group. Um, and amongst those people, um, the state is set up into all sorts of weird little administrative regions to distract from the reality that those are the real demographics of the place. The real demographics of the place are basically uh, two groups of people who are living within these same borders. Um, and then you've basically pushed the Palestinian population to a, to a very small amount of territory um, mm-hmm. and pushed the Palestinian population a small amount of territory in Gaza um, and uh, continue to exercise control over their lives in even this very small chunk of the land. Um, and then there is no way to do that. There is no way to do that. That's not going to result in collateral damage. Um, you can take as many precautions as possible, but ultimately this is going to be the outcome every single time. Um, and while for one group of people, 
this conflict remains extraordinarily relevant uh, yeah. for the other group of people. It's it probably ranks below like your economy and coronavirus in in Israeli politics. Uh, so it's yeah, I mean it's 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 not very relevant uh, very relevant to Israelis today, um, and that's something the show doesn't depict at all. Um, it doesn't depict the urgency. It doesn't depict the fact that it doesn't depict the fact that people really don't know how to how they're going to continue to be here in 10 years time what am i going to do for work you know what am i uh where am i going to go i go overseas i get educated i come back and then what do i do for a living um there's no future um and the whole status quo that we're living under depends on this bizarre inertia this equilibrium that exists between the pa and israel which could disappear at any moment and then we're right back to another intifada nothing uh is going to change until there's a shift and the you know political ideology that gets us to this point um and so one way or another you need a full solution you you can't mm -hmm. you can't have 1.2 states um uh you know you can't give palestinians uh you can't slightly improve people's lives you actually need to give them equality one way or another either with an independent palestinian state where they have their own country they have their own nationhood and they have equal rights inside their own state uh or with a democratic one either way um there's no in between there um big and no group of people will ever accept an in between there it may come in stages um you know where you have uh, uh but, temporary segregation followed by actual civil rights but still having yeah. like redlining and racist measures but uh, ultimately the the struggle isn't over until people are equal um and that's what's going to happen every single time it's also inevitable like because what are you going to do with with the millions of people that live inside this country that you've disenfranchised. I mean, do you think we're going to go somewhere? We're, we're going to we're going to magically disappear. We're going to leave. Like, what do you think the end destination is? And how long do you think people are going to be willing to endure this um, before uh, you know it comes to a head? Okay, um, given me a lot to think about, and also future content. Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, so Israelis have the privilege, I guess, to not care. I don't like the word privilege, but I just feel like it suits here. Um, and that's something that Fauda, I guess, trying to depict in some way, shape or form, the conflict, uh, has failed to show the urgency on the side of the Palestinians to find a solution. Um, what it is that brings them um, to resist, not just, or not, yeah, not just vendetta. A vendetta could be like a symptom, but it's not the cause. Um, could you acknowledge though, that as a first step to bringing the conflict to the stage to Israelis, that it, it it is something, it is progress. It's not nearly enough, and a show will never give Palestinians what they deserve, which is freedom. Um, but could Palestinians appreciate the attempt? of the people on this show to at least show a glimpse, um, try to humanize. Could you appreciate the fact that it is progressive to what 
any Israeli has seen until today. Or it just doesn't mean shit so long as, you know, the situation is a situation. Um, I'll sort of wrap up, but I would say it is ultimately a TV show. You know, it's not, it's not a documentary. It's not trying to uh, explain the conflict to, to the audience. Um, what was frustrating about it was the narrative aspects. So uh, you could strongly disagree with what, what the Palestinian narrative is. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but these aren't things that we disagree on. It's not like Israelis don't think the raids happen or the checkpoints exist or the curfews exist. Or uh, This isn't something, like, this is just a, you know, like a factual reality. So you can depict that. You can depict mm-hmm. the day-to-day experiences of people's lives. What I, what I felt the show did is depicted a fictional reality. Um, and maybe it's because it had Arab Israeli consultants rather than like uh, people from the West Bank uh, chiming in or whatever. Um, but it explained nothing about what people's lives were actually like, um, you know, what they actually lived, and then le- leave the audience to draw their own conclusions. Um, so it's not that it had to, uh, you know, this Israeli TV show had to basically uh, advocate for, uh, you know, Palestinians. I didn't expect it to do that. I just think when you show Palestinian characters, at least show their lives the way they really are, um, which are actually quite mundane. I mean, so much of the conflict is this really mundane thing. Uh, the occupation is very normal. You know, it's routine. It's routine to us and it's routine to the soldiers doing it. Um and uh, you know we can tell the different groups we we come into contact with as well, like you know, different groups of soldiers uh, diff- wearing different uniforms behave very differently in raids or at checkpoints or uh, in our interactions with them. Um, well, that is the backstory to people's lives, and that is the backstory to their motivation, and that's why a new generation that didn't see the history with their own eyes. You're on mute. Like you finished your your statements, I hear. Uh, you, I think I dropped out for a second. But um, yeah, <laughs> that, that's where a new generation that didn't see the history with their own eyes is still uh, very much living this struggle. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you're never going to explain the full narrative or the history of, of both sides in a TV show. Um, but just the day-to-day mundane experiences, like what it's like to actually live there, that mm-hmm. is never depicted. And then the Palestinian characters are completely interchangeable with any other group of uh, you know, Islamic terrorists from any other Arab state. Um, uh, they, they were shallow uh, from like a literary or film perspective. Um, they weren't compelling characters. And there's a lot more dehumanization than just showing somebody be human, have kids and a family and eat food at a dinner table. Um, you have to, uh, at least, even if you don't agree, even if you simply think they're wrong about their narrative, you at least have to say what they say, you know, what they think, what they believe. Um, and the show doesn't, doesn't you know, do that at any point. Um, uh, and that, that's where, you know, most of my gripes with it was. Um, I had very low expectations. Um, it, you know, it, it just, everything it fixated on um, was, uh, yeah, I mean, it's exactly what I think Israelis think the conflict looks like in their head. Um, and even just, a, it, it is all very visceral. Like if you see 
you know, if you see a group of people oppressed or you see a group of people without liberty in really basic mundane ways, uh, rather than these like dramatic scenes where they're like kidnapping a kid and using her as a hostage, they're just really basic day to day scenes. Um, you, you would at least understand what we are thinking. Uh, and the show doesn't do that at any point. And so uh, you were you were left aware of the existence of violence and aware of the existence of conflict, um, but no understanding as to what motivates it. Um, and it is also kind of hopeless because if you believe the narrative the show is, is, is pitching, um, which is basically the conflict exists because of, you know, a cycle of vendettas or, uh, you know, because of Islamic extremism, um, then... Uh, it does state the occupation not once, not twice, and not even thrice in the show. So we can, I, 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 sure. I agree with, I mean, I no, understand it, what you're it, saying. I just agree. It's left to as a yeah. because we, we say, well, we say occupation, but you just never see it. Throughout the entire no. show, you never actually see what occupation looks like. But they that, try. That, that's, that's, what I felt. that's the thing. You still need to sell it to Israeli people at the end of the day. You know what I mean? So I just feel like this was a huge first step. And obviously it's not perfect. Obviously there's so much to progress. And also it's a, just it's a drama TV show. But um, I, I really appreciated the conversation today because I really didn't see anything of what you were saying. And so now you explaining that to me, I kind of see, you know, uh, your perspective on the show. Uh, I just hope I somewhat enlightened you with tiny motifs or critique that, you know, the show was trying to portray to Israelis and their viewers and say, like, you know, this might not be a lot, but it's something. And just one step is another step closer. So, you know, again, uh, I may be I, looking I at it because I'm an Israeli and I don't have this sense of urgency to, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I felt it was like, a step backwards in a way. Um, uh, I feel like enough Israelis serve in the army have seen the worst bank. They they know what's real. They know what's mundane. Uh, they know what you know. They know what these things are really like. Um, uh, it is a lot more like living under you know, at eighteen. It's different. It's different when you're raised. You know, like I t I talk to students. I'm a teacher, right? So I have like kids, and and they're like, oh, you know, um, I was telling them that I you know do this thing on. Um, the great debate and we talk about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and they're like, what's that? And I'm like, oh. yeah. <laughs> uh, like, you know, you're just going to like, Tov, I don't want to be the one teaching you about it because you're the kids and I don't want the parents to come to me and say, like, Danny, what are you teaching my children? And I was just like, oh, you know, it's just conflict. It's, it's regional conflict. I talk about regional conflict. I mean, the older they are, I, I feel freer to speak about it, but with little kids, I'm just like, and... Mm. I just know? can't so, think of any other... Different. When I, I can't think of any other as a soldier uh, than when you see it as an individual, when you're raised on it, when you talk sure. about it. I, I, I just can't think of any other con you know, his piece of history or conflict uh, between two ethnic groups that you can uh, kind of get away with depicting so shallowly. Um, yeah. If you're going to show Palestinians, just show real Palestinians. Like, what do they live like? In a lot of ways, you know, um, uh, what the Israeli soldiers did on the show wasn't realistic for Israeli soldiers, like both in a positive way or a negative way. Um, mm -hmm. But our lives, you know, 
it, to me, it felt like you were just depicting a different group of people. And there were only brief moments in the show where I could actually resonate uh, with what the characters were experiencing or saying. Um, and I think film and media and TV is an extremely powerful way of uh, explaining what people experience and uh, making it real. Um, I definitely, you know, I, I wasn't remotely expecting this to be a pro-Palestinian TV show. Um, I just think if you're going to go to the trouble of, of mm -hmm. creating these characters and giving them a backstory, um, just base it off a true story. Um, uh, you know, th th there is so much disagreement about narrative and, and mm -hmm. who's right. Um, but I mean, uh, there are some basic facts. Uh, you can take the stories of any of the people who've been part of recent attacks or um, history, use them on the show, and uh, at least it would make sense to us. You know, at least you would feel like yeah. you're depicting real people, you know, rather than shallow characters. And uh, yeah, uh, that, that's probably how I felt about the show in a nutshell. Yeah. So if the photo producers are watching, y'all need a Palestinian to enlighten. Uh, your narrative a little bit and depicted more accurately. What That's what season have is Fauda on? Season three was the last one. Season three, so Fauda producers, you have some uh, good feedback. Let's get season four going. Let's do this. Maybe one of our awesome community members wants to tweet at them. Tweet this uh, <laughs> video. Let's get it going. Uh, so do you, do you both? You want to take some questions? Some audience questions? Uh, sure. Yeah. That, by the way, that was great. I uh, I only watched the first episode of Fada, but I really found the conversation to be meaningful. So, audience, uh, let's ask some questions for for Danny and Zahir. And do you also want to do an after party in the lounge? Yeah, uh, that sounds good to me. Yeah, I'm down. All right. So we're gonna we're gonna take two questions and then we're gonna move over to Discord. We're gonna do an after party in the lounge where it's just the free conversation. It's text and voice channels, just a party, just good times. I don't want to explain too much. We'll leave it mysterious. I just dropped the link in the, in the chat. Join that on the left-hand side. You'll see a lounge. We'll be in there as soon as we log off. Uh, maybe while people are asking some questions, I, I'll give some feedback on some of the comment section. Honestly, the comment section was, was by and large peaceful today. But um, I saw a little denialism of uh, Palestinian identity. And, you know, we see denialism of both identities. It's kind of two sides of the same coin. Um, for a minute, I'll get into the specifics. Like the concept of Palestine doesn't exist. Well, 180 countries in the world and the UN recognize Palestine as a de jure sovereign state. And what's mm -hmm. interesting is it's also the UN that recognized Israel's right to exist initially. So. You know, A, there's that, but B, a nation is not just a physical concept with of borders and government and military. It's it's a it's a it's a social and emotional concept as well. And no nation exists until the day it exists. So to say Palestine didn't exist doesn't mean that they don't exist as a people or a nation today. But even more importantly than than the semantic itself, it's what do you gain to achieve by saying Palestine doesn't exist? Do you, do you think you can ever convince a Palestinian that Palestine doesn't exist? Uh, think about this. Will you ever convince a Palestinian that Palestine doesn't exist? You have probably the same chance of convincing an Israeli that Israel doesn't exist. It's a 0% chance. So it's pretty much 
a waste of an argument. But not only is it a waste of an argument, it's inflammatory. So not only are you not going to convince Palestinians, you're just going to anger them. And when they're angry, they're they're going to react the same way towards you. So anybody who's denying one side's uh, identity is only strengthening calls for denial of their own identity. Think about that. You are calling for the denial of your own identity by denying the other side's identity. So, you know, let, let's keep our... Uh, the, the, the comments and our thoughts and our activism, it should be productive. It should be helpful. It should be progressing a cause, not trying to deny one side's existence. Just keep that in mind. Cool. Questions. Um, Itachi. Itachi, thank you. You've been active this whole time and you were by and large respectful, so I appreciate you. Uh, Itachi is asking, what would you like to see in the next Fauda season? Zahir, you want to take this one, or I? <laughs> I don't know if they could pull it off uh, because it would be such a departure from everything uh, that we've seen so far. Um, but uh, just show normal people's lives. I mean, uh, you know, Danny mentioned uh, that Palestinians on the show said the word occupation, um, but you just never see it. Uh, you just have no reason to understand to understand what they're talking about and um, what are they referring to what does it look like um, yeah. what do they experience you know, there's no depiction of you know, crowd control of protests or uh, um, just being told you aren't allowed to go out at night after a particular hour um, or you know week-long curfews where everybody's stuck at home or uh, I don't know I mean just fairly basic now mundane aspects of what occupation is and even if you don't agree, even if you don't buy into the Palestinian narrative, it sort of doesn't matter. Uh, at least to pick the factual reality that everybody sort of can agree on, which is like, what does this look like? Um, and uh, how, I, I think the audience can fill in the gaps. I mean, we are all human. Uh, we, we can look at an interaction. You can see this in videos or uh, in photographs of uh, any of the conflicts. You, know, you can look up this is so widely available online um and as soon as you watch uh, a video of this happening in real life you understand the narrative right away and that is why film is powerful um more so than me you know i can tell you in my words what a raid uh feels like uh or how mundane it is uh or you know why it feels like uh basically an attempt to you know dominate or establish presence in the places that they're located uh, but a film can depict that. And if you want to depict the Israeli side of that narrative or why they're motivated and why they're motivated to do that, well, that's on, you know, that, the onus of that is on the show's writers. But at least show the thing that happens. Um, uh, show, show the reality and the, and the audience can sort of immediately understand what the characters are experiencing. Um, and frankly, I think it makes for a better drama. They're, they're, they're less shallow characters. Um, their motivations make more sense. Um, uh, and so I think the Israeli characters sort of made sense in the show. Um, you know, regardless of when they behaved immorally or were dysfunctional or, you know, needed some mental health support, um, they ultimately, in the show, kind of explains their cause. Um, you're left feeling that they're there to protect their, you know, people, um, while the Palestinian characters never really made any sense. They never made sense to me, um, and I'm Palestinian. Um, so the characters just seemed like generic, uh, angry, uh, you know, uh, Arabs, um, rather than Palestinians. 
Um, well, I love the show again. Uh, so what you, you recommended that now I'm super like, you know, again, if anyone in Fauda working in Fauda is watching this, I super want to see it is the background stories. What made the person that we're seeing today, the person he is today. Okay. Whether it be Palestine. Well, I mean, Israelis, we know our narrative. So yeah, if we're trying to humanize and get to understand the Palestinian narrative, I would kind of want to see. So if, you know, if it was Abu Ahmed or Onidal or uh, Abu Muhammad, so whoever's going to be the, you know, uh, next guy in season four, I just kind of want to see his life story in one that is accurate to the portrayal of the everyday life Palestinian. Um, that's what I want to want to see in season four. Zahir, I have a question that I know you're going to like. Is there any chance to ever convince Palestinians of Israel's right to exist? Thanks, Marla. Uh, yeah, um, that it's a it's a big question, uh, and it kind of fundamentally comes down to what you mean Israel's right to exist. Uh, do you mean Israel as it is today? Uh, you know, with the occupation of the West Bank and the blockade of Gaza, um, and, or you know, it, it depends on what matters to you ideologically. Um, do you mean a, a state um, that exists only for one ethnic group, uh, or do you mean your right to, you know, you're born there, or you're a third generation, or a sabra, as uh, Israelis say, uh, and your right to be in this place that you call home? Uh, do you mean uh, um, e even when Israelis say a Jewish state, or what exactly does that mean? Is it a state where, where you know, uh, Jewish people have gathered, or is it about Jewish history, uh, or is it about you know a Jewish homeland, or does it mean the like ideological um, supremacy of one ethnic group over every 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 other. Um, so I really can't answer that question until Israelis figure out what exactly um, it means to them. Um, so uh, let me get, let me give you a version of Israel that I think most Israelis probably would you know that th this would be like w what they won't be willing to compromise on. It would be a Jewish majority state, meaning. Uh, a country where they can keep demographic control primarily uh, for security reasons. Um, I don't think Palestinians will ever accept the history. Um, uh, I do think that like unanimously across the board, um, all of our leadership and people have, you know, time and time again, uh, accepted the basic premise of two states. Um, you know, along like uh, UN partition lines or uh, 67 borders or whatever. Uh, yeah, I mean, East Jerusalem, uh, you know, the West Bank, Gaza, and genuine, honest to God sovereignty. Um, uh, that's a staple of, of every political party. Even, um, you know, Hamas is, uh, which I, Israelis seem to think is this like crazy extreme thing. Um, yeah, I've been completely on board with that as a uh, premise. Uh, alternatively, there is equality. Um, you can let go of the idea that uh, an ethno state is important um, and uh, have a homeland instead. Um, you know, you're, this isn't diaspora uh, Europe. You know, this isn't. Uh, you're not two percent of the population or one percent of the population. You're half the country. Um, so, if everybody had equal rights. Um, in the land that we all uh, consider our homeland. Um, uh, a lot of Israelis see that as a destruction of their existence. And so 
um, you know, if, if, if your state is about uh, demographics, um, then you've gone about it exactly the wrong way. You shouldn't have let 800,000 settlers move to the West Bank. Um, I, I don't really see a way back from that. Um, I, I see the future as inevitably, um, you know, uh, going to require somebody to shift on this ideology, um, that it's actually a good or moral thing um, to have uh, an ethno state in a place where half the population isn't that ethnicity. Um, yeah, uh, so I mean, I think, but, but in, in theory, I think uh, the Palestinian leadership um, has long since accepted um, you know, uh, two states. I mean, that was sort of the whole premise of the Palestinian resistance and the first intifada. Um, uh, yeah, East Jerusalem, uh, the West Bank, Gaza, and right over time. Uh, people, have, uh, people have echoed the same talking points for an extraordinarily long period of time. I just think, you know, <clears throat> 20 years after Oslo, um, the reality on the ground has shifted. Um, and uh, there are so many Israeli settlers and the two populations are so integrated um, that I think, uh, you know, uh, that's, I, I don't see that as viable. I, and I think um, the way Israelis react to that is basically by then pitching Palestinians some kind of a pseudo state, um, you know, like the Trump plan. Um, uh, which again, you know, Palestinians are never going to accept, or any group of people is going to accept uh, the, 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 a state that is effectively a bunch of Bantustans. Um, so, yeah, I, I think in a two-state reality, we will, you know, never be okay with the history. Um, but I think there would be peace, um, and in a, you know, in some kind of one state, uh, one equal democratic state for everyone. I think people are more likely to accept um, uh, the history, given that it would have ultimately worked out well in the sense that, uh, and people seem to have a misunderstanding of like the Palestinian identity, but we are from tribes that have lived in different places all over the lands. Um, the physical structures you know, that uh, were built by uh, our forefathers and, you know, uh, the, the names of so many of the clans and so many of the tribes of uh, Palestinians literally attributed to these particular locations. Um, so the connection to land is a big thing. And I think there's also a shift in Israeli political demographics where, uh, you know, secular Israeli Jews are not the predominant political force. And so the fact that traditional nationalists see a desire or, you know, a connection to the lands in the West Bank and want to live there, given they feel that, you know, this is the place that they have the most history in, um, I mean, that's an alternative approach to, to unify people is if everybody loves the land, then why do you have this ideology of, uh, needing it to just be for your ethnic group? I think you have to pick one or the other, either you have a demographic Jewish majority state, in which case you need to partition the country, um, in half, um, and it needs to be a fair partition or people won't accept it. Cause again, people have an innate sense of fairness, um, or you need to have uh, let go of the demographics concept, um, live anywhere in the land, um, and agree to equality. Um, and that to me is, uh, my personal view is Zionism, um, and that's a fairly loaded you know, uh, term, um, uh, and a fairly long history. But ultimately, it has always struggled with this duality. And I feel like you have to pick one or the other. Um, you know, either pick a chunk of the place, um, that's a Jewish majority, uh, where there isn't another population, 
or integrate with the people who are there and live equally side by side. Um, you know, there are so many groups who moved here, uh, whether it's like the Armenians or people, you know, Byzantines or, uh, you know, people who've lived in the land moved here as a group, various eras in history, and they integrated with the local population. They're considered Palestinian today. Um, and that's why we refer to you know, Israelis as settler colonialists, because they didn't just move here um, to return to their homeland and integrate with the local population. They set up an ethnic state just for them. Um, and regardless of whether you agree with that narrative and that history, ultimately today, you know, where you have to pick one or the other. I mean, it's inevitable. Either it's going to be one democratic equal state, uh, or um, it needs to be two. Um, you just can't be both democrat, democratic, majority Jewish, and then define your borders as a land that is half a different population. Um, as for ideological uh, Jewish hatred, I just don't think there is any. Um, uh, Marla, um, I think uh, the hatred is towards the group of people that we see as our enemies. Those are the only interactions that we've had. I don't think there's any ideological, uh, I don't think there's any ideological anti-Semitism. There is just a generic ethnic conflict. And so when Palestinians hate, quote unquote, Jews, they're referring to the group of people that they're at war with, they're in a conflict with. Um, you know, it's nothing to do with Jewish history or the Jewish religion or Jewish people as an ethnic group. If anything, every single one of those things would have been very compatible with the Palestinian culture and Palestinian identity. I mean, there's a even after the Nakba and the Naksa, when Arafat wrote the you know uh, PLO Constitution, he referred to the Jews who were in Palestine prior to uh, uh, you know the first Aliyah as as being Palestinian. Um, uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't think there's any ideological reason that Palestinians would have against uh, Jews. I think uh, most of the ideological difference centers around what, what we perceive Zionism to be, um, or what Zionism means to us. Um, and my view was, you know, the ideologies that this duality that it has, you kind of have to pick one or the other. Um, you know, it's one thing for Herzl to say he wants to build a Jewish majority state. It's another when he wants to do it in a place that has another ethnic population. Um so, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you kind of have to pick either connection to the land or connection to demographics. And depending on what matters more to you, I think that will define um, what solution you prefer um, and what, you know, Israel's right to exist will mean in uh, post-conflict. Cool. Thank you, Zahir. There's a few more good questions, but we are on the two-hour mark, so we will just... Leave it for the after party. Uh, for those who want to continue the conversation, we're moving it over to Discord for the after party on the left-hand side. You will see the lounge. Once you enter, you will see the lounge. Click it. You'll be connected. If you're new to this channel, subscribe, like. If you didn't like this video, give us a down vote. Just express yourself. Be real. <laughs> be raw. We love you. Uh, there won't be a debate tomorrow taking a week off. Next Thursday, we have Inon Dan Kehati and John Du... Oh, fuck. I should have looked it up before <laughs> pitching this. I always do that. Um, whatever. Inon and John. Inon and John, next Thursday. It's going to be a good one. And then on uh, February 8th, we have Noam Chomsky and Rudy Ra Rushman. So that's going to be probably our biggest debate yet. 
Danny Zahir, it was a great pleasure. Um, and I, I know the crowd's going to yeah, – I know you'll be back soon with something, maybe a Janine Janine review, maybe another cool show, the, the fan favorites. See you all in Discord.